This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include strong language and mature themes. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 229. Hey there, folks. Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm Chris Lester, your guide to the fantastical world of Metamore City. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. This is the show where I share my fresh new fiction with you and tell you the latest on my life and my writing. So, without further ado, here is this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 2 in my Metamore City erotic fantasy, Homecoming. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 228 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. It has been seven months since John the Incubus met Catherine Catane, Metamore City Police Detective, and five months since their no-strings-attached sexual frolicking turned into an actual capital-R relationship. Mistress Jasmine, John's boss at the Church of Hedonism, has viewed this development with a sort of tolerant amusement, thinking of Kate as John's hobby that he pursues in his off hours. But for John, the relationship has become so much more. On a Friday night, John heads down to Kate's apartment to spend the weekend with her. She meets him at the door in a silk robe and a frilly new piece of lingerie, and they quickly get to work feeding John's supernatural hunger for sexual energy. In the afterglow, with Kate drifting off under the influence of John's feeding, she murmurs, You're so sweet, John. My parents are gonna love you. But when John asks what she means by this, Kate is already asleep. Homecoming, A Tale of Metamore City, written and read by Chris Lester. Chapter 2 Saturday, November 11th Kate was already out for her run when John awoke the next morning. He helped himself to her bathroom, changed into fresh clothes from his overnight bag, and started a pot of coffee. He was just starting to chop vegetables for a breakfast scramble when Kate returned, looking sweaty, flushed, and pleasantly tired, in a distinctly different manner than she'd been last night, but one that seemed to give her nearly as much satisfaction. She was practically glowing as she came up and kissed him on the cheek. "'Good morning, hun," she said brightly. "'How'd you sleep?' "'Well enough,' John said." Once I got over the shock of you talking about me meeting your parents. We've got some time yet before breakfast, if you want to go ahead and shower. Kate grinned mischievously. Aw, I thought you liked me all sweaty. She wrapped her arms around his waist and pressed her chest against one of his muscular arms. Her sweat had soaked through the shirt, 
and with the late fall weather outside, it was cold. Ack, John said, lifting his arms over his head to put them out of her reach. I just showered. Kate laughed and kissed his chin. You could come shower again. Help me wash my back. John's cock throbbed at the suggestion, but his stomach growled a counter-argument. Tempting as that is, my human half would like to eat sometime this morning. Somebody took him to bed without any supper last night. Humph. Kate stepped back and stuck her tongue out at him. I distinctly remember you saying I served your favorite meal. She traced one hand over her abdomen and down to her pelvis, framing her mound between thumb and forefinger. Man does not live by pussy alone, John intoned, in the manner of one quoting scripture. Kate barked a laugh. Tell me that's in one of your holy books. John winked. Maybe you should read them and find out. Kate just shook her head and chuckled. All right, I'll be out in ten minutes. Take your time, John said, and went back to chopping and slicing. The scramble came together quickly, and by the time Kate had washed, dressed, and fixed a cup of coffee for herself, John was plating out portions on Kate's little two-person dining table. He suspected she was as hungry as he was, because they both attacked the food in companionable silence. Once they were finished, John picked up his coffee and stood, inclining his head in the direction of the living room. I want to try out that couch of yours, now that I can finally see it. Ooh, good idea, Kate agreed. John seated himself near one end of the sofa, with his feet on the floor. Kate sat down crosswise at the opposite end, with her back against the armrest. Her legs were so long that they covered most of the couch's length. She wiggled her toes at him invitingly, and he scooted over enough to rest them in his lap. He idly massaged her feet and lower legs with one hand while he held his coffee in the other. So you said something last night that I was curious about, John said, just before you went to sleep. Do you remember? Kate's forehead creased in a light frown. She had a nearly flawless eidetic memory. Another gift, John suspected, from her supernatural heritage, but it didn't always work when she was sleepy or intoxicated. Last night, she had been a bit of both. In this case, though, her memory did not fail her. After a moment, her eyes widened in sudden recollection, and a flush crept into her cheeks. Oh, about my parents? Yes, John said, mildly. What prompted that, if you don't mind my asking? Dismay flickered across Kate's face. Sorry, I know family's a sore point for you. Are you mad? I'm not mad, I'm just confused, John said, honestly. I mean, suddenly you want me to meet your parents? Because we've been together for seven months, and you've never told me anything about them. Well, he thought except for the stuff about your biological father and his murder at the hands of a thousand-year-old apocalypse cult. But this didn't seem like a good time to bring that up. It had all happened when Kate was too young to remember anyway. Her stepfather, Sam Catane, was the only dad she had ever known. But John knew nothing about the man except his name. Kate's blush deepened. I wasn't trying to be secretive. I just... Look, all the shit you went through, losing your mom, Count Halloway kicking you out, that's fucking awful. 
And I didn't want to be waving my two healthy, normal parents in front of you like some kind of asshole. John chuckled in spite of himself. You are not required to have a backstory as fucked up as mine in order to date me, hun. But you have to admit, it's a little weird to go from we aren't talking about family to my parents are gonna love you with nothing in between. I know, Kate said plaintively. I meant to talk about them with you, at some point. I just didn't know how to bring it up. She sighed and shrugged. Anyway, my parents solved that one for us. They sent me an email yesterday. They want me to come out to their place for Metacama this year. And they'd like you to come with me. John's eyebrows shot up. Metacama was the Empire's National Day of Thanksgiving and Remembrance, the unofficial start of the winter holiday season. It was a time for feasting and celebration, which John was all in favor of, and for family reunions, which he was not. Hells, they hadn't even been an option for him for most of twenty years. Needless to say, his feelings about the holiday were rather conflicted. So you haven't told me about your parents, but you've told them about me? She gave him a slightly disappointed look. John, come on. I talk to them at least every couple of weeks. Of course I've told them about you. You're a really big part of my life now. Uh-huh, John said, still wary. So what exactly do they know about me? Did you mention that I'm an incubus? Kate fidgeted. Her eyes took on a trapped expression. Um, or how about that I'm a priest of hedonism? John pressed. I'm sure they must have been super excited to hear that your boyfriend is leading church-sponsored orgies three nights a week. Kate's blush returned. Okay, obviously that part is none of their business. Obviously, John agreed. I'm guessing you also didn't mention I'm the disgraced bastard son of Count Holloway's late wife. Of course not, Kate protested. She looked down at the mug in her hands. I wouldn't do that to you. Gods. All right, then. John spread his hands. You see why I'm confused? I'm not sure what's left to tell them. Kate stared at her coffee mug in silence for a long moment. At last, she looked up at him, her green eyes steady. I said you were a friend of Morgan's, she said quietly and that you were smart and funny and stupidly gorgeous, and that you like to dance and cook good food and drive fast skimmers, and that you're sweet and kind and the best thing that ever happened to me. Her cheeks were bright crimson now, but she did not look away. John felt his own cheeks turning red. Oh, he whispered. Kate swung her feet off the couch, then scooted down next to him. She took both of his hands in hers and squeezed them. John, my parents live in the central provinces. It's a long way from Metamore City. I don't know how they'd handle hearing about incubi or hedonists or any of that stuff. They're still wrapping their heads around the news that I'm by now. But they're good people, and they know you're important to me, so they want to meet you. She reached up and held his chin, smiled a little sadly. Besides, Metacama is a time to be with family. I know you can't be with yours. I thought maybe I could share mine. Unexpectedly, 
tears came to John's eyes. I... that's really sweet. His voice had gone scratchy. He coughed and wiped at his face. Gods, now I feel like an asshole. Maybe a little bit, Kate said, gently. But it's not like you don't have good reasons for being skittish. I get it. I'm just telling you you don't have to be afraid of my parents. John took her hand again. I believe that you believe that, he said, just as gently. I just... I need you to see this from my perspective. When my family found out what I was... I was excoriated, hun. Sixteen years old, and they took away my rank, my titles, even my last name. I lost my whole identity in an afternoon. If Mistress Jasmine hadn't taken me in, I'd probably be dead now. His lip twisted in a bitter half-smile. That's what family means to me. Fear. Exposure. Rejection. And every time I make myself vulnerable to someone new, that same fear comes crawling back up again. That I'll lose all the good things in my life if the wrong person learns the truth about me. Kate nodded soberly. She held up their joined hands between them, looking him squarely in the eyes. Well, you're not going to lose me. I want you to stay in my life, John. So come see what you're getting yourself into. Spend a week with me and my folks. Let them get to know you. Just as a person, not all the hedonist, dangerous stuff. We can work up to that later, once they know what a great guy you are. John hesitated. It wasn't that he had any issue with disguising himself as a human. He did it every day, and for the most part it made life go more smoothly than walking around with horns and a tail. But it was one thing to pretend to be normal for a trip to a bar or a restaurant, where he was interacting with people he would likely never see again. It was another to start a relationship with his girlfriend's parents under what felt like false pretenses. They might feel betrayed when they learned the truth. They might hold a grudge against him for the deception alone. On the other hand, Kate was right. The provinces weren't Metamore. There was a lot about big city life that might seem strange and vaguely threatening to people from a more insular background. What if John had been human, but he and Kate were active in the kink community? What if they had a master-slave covenant? John wouldn't feel the need to share that with their parents. They could be honest about their commitment to each other, but gloss over any possibly upsetting details. It wouldn't be that hard. As long as you don't get caught. Kate squeezed his hand. You're awfully quiet. John could hear the dread in her voice, the fear of rejection, of losing the good thing they had going here. Seven months was one of the longer relationships John had ever had, but it wasn't that long. Things could still fall apart on them. But John didn't want that. He met her eyes again. Just thinking. This is important to you, isn't it? Me meeting your family. Slowly, she nodded. It is. John took a deep breath, let it out, and gave her a firm nod. All right, I'll do it. And that's the end of Chapter 2. Come back next time, when John faces his biggest hurdle yet, 
getting the blessing of Mistress Jasmine to leave the city. Phil Cousineau said, Inspiration comes and goes. Creativity is the result of practice. So, let's see how I've been keeping the creative juices flowing. It's time for the weekly writing report. This episode is being pre-recorded, so this update covers the week of April 25th to May 1st. I wrote 3,946 words this week, over the course of 5.75 hours, for an average writing speed of 686 words per hour. As of Friday, May 1st, I have gone 14 days without breaking my chain. This week I continued working on my new FF romance novel, Honor Bound. In Chapter 3 I got to introduce three important supporting characters in Honor's world. Her father, Lord Bellevue, her father's cousin, Tyrrell, a decorated military veteran from the First Great War, and Tyrrell's son, Lord Graham, who is the scion of House Bellevue, by virtue of being Lord Bellevue's closest male heir. These three men represent different facets of the patriarchal society that Honor is trapped in. Her father is loving and generous, but expects little from her except to behave decently and marry well, which has kept him from mentoring her in the way he would a son. Tyrrell is threatened and angry at the ways the world is changing after the wars, and has embraced a reactionary politics that is trying to freeze that transformation in its tracks. And Graham is the poster child for clueless male privilege, a man who has coasted through life on the achievements of his forebears, never examining whether he's actually suited for the role to which he feels entitled. Each of them presents obstacles, in their own way, to honor becoming the person she has the potential to be. This chapter moved really fast for me, and I wrote about 1,700 words of it in a single day. The manuscript is now over 6,000 words. Looking back at the month of April, I wrote 10,289 words in 14 days, averaging 735 words per day. That ranks 43rd out of the 60 months since I started keeping track. Not great, but given that I didn't even start writing again until April 11th, I think it's surprisingly good. I spent 16 hours writing this month. Compared to January, the last month in which I did any writing, my word count increased by 4%, and my writing time increased by 23%. Several factors contributed to my success this month. First, I started setting aside time to write in the morning. As I mentioned in a previous episode, I've been moving a lot of my lab work to second shift, and that means I'm getting home too late to do any writing. But because I tend to wake up around the same time regardless of when I'm working, thank you, Marco and Cedar, this means that I have some time in the morning when the house is quiet and my mind is fresh. By putting in an hour or so on the book before I do anything else, I've been able to get the creative juices flowing much more effectively. Sometimes I get so inspired in my morning session that I can sit down at lunch and bang out a few hundred more words then, too. The lesson is an important one for me. When life is in turmoil and your usual schedule is disrupted, make time first for the things that are most important to you. Then, no matter what else happens that day, you know you've crossed priority one off the list. The end of April also marked the end of my fifth full year of tracking my writing efforts, 
which started in May of 2015. Looking back on Season 5 as a whole, I wrote a grand total of 138,287 words on 220 days. That's the lowest word count for any of my seasons so far, coming behind roughly 148,000 words in Season 3, and 158,000 words in Season 4. This is due to not getting any writing done in February and March. If I'd written in those months at the same rate that I averaged in May through January, then Season 5 would have had my second-highest word count ever. As it is, though, I'm taking my lessons and moving forward. Here's to bigger and better things in Season 6. Over on the Patreon feed, I have two new patrons this month. Please welcome Donna and Michael. If you like the work that I'm doing here and you want to help me keep doing it, becoming a patron is the single best way to support me. For $3 a month, you get access to sneak peeks, character profiles, cover reveals, and other cool stuff. This week, I posted the first chapter of Honor Bound, so you can get your first look at what I've been working on. Plus, all patrons get access to my behind-the-episode commentaries, and bonus artwork from my team of Metamorph City artists. Just go to patreon.com slash author Chris Lester and make a pledge today. And if you're already a patron, thank you so much for your support. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorcityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2019 and 2020 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvette Press. The show is released under Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.